HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the intersection between food, agriculture, and competition. Learn how a chicken raising contest in the 1940s led to the poultry industry we have today. And they were going to run a contest and try and develop what they would call the chicken of tomorrow. We'll also venture into the world of agricultural video games, where a new set of tractors is making a lot of fans happy. The biggest addition to 19 was the John Deere's. That's what everyone was hyped for. And we pay a visit to a group of Indian restaurants that aren't on the friendliest of terms. Usually they wait for my restaurant, but after a long wait, they go to next door or downstairs. But this is how they do business. They completely copy whatever we do. Embrace your competitive spirit and be the first to listen to new Meet and 3 episodes by subscribing now. That's Meet Plus Sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen in Izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I'm sorry, um, I tried to demystify it in this program with my good guests. And my guest today is Masud Gassi, who has Japanese food and restaurant blog on Instagram under Tokyo Manhattan. His posts not only describe restaurants he has visited, but also include many other elements behind dishes, such as history, culture, and cooking methods. And he appeared on episode... Um, uh, 125, 136, and shared his favorite Japanese chefs and restaurants in Paris, New York, and Tokyo, as well as sushi restaurants in New York and Tokyo. And today, we'll continue our conversation with Masood with the focus of ramen shops. During the last 10 years or so, ramen became rapidly popular all over the world, and many unique ramen shops was bo- were born in the U.S. and other parts of the world. And there's so many of them that it's hard to choose which one you should visit. So to help you decide, Masood will give you recommendations along with the basics of ramen. But before we start, Japan Needs is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now let's start our conversation with Masood Kasi. Hello, Masood. Welcome back. Hi, Kiko-san. Thanks for uh, having me on again. Okay, so you're a very precious asset <laughs> to oh, talk about you. various restaurants. So um, so first of all, for our listeners who have not listened to the past episodes, 125 and 135, please tell us your background, which is very interesting. Sure, yeah. So um, I'm ethnically Afghan. I've never been to Afghanistan. My dad was with the uh, Afghan embassy in the 70s. Uh, when the Soviet invasion took place, sorry, with the uh, Afghan embassy in Japan, when the Soviet uh, invasion took place 
and he ended up seeking political asylum in Japan, and he became a professor at a university, Sophia University, and I uh, was born and raised in Japan, 28 years. Um, I don't look absolutely, uh, I don't look Japanese at all, uh, but I, the only passport I carry is, is that of Japan. So imagine passing through customs and immigrations around the world with an Arabic name, ethnically Afghan, and a Japanese passport. <laughs> and a Japanese passport is uh, the second most convenient Something passport like in the that, world. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very good passport. Yeah, so I've lived there for 28 years. I'm fluent in Japanese. I worked in Japan. I went to an international school there. So that's uh, my background. Mm. And you have a day job, too. Yes, I do have a day job. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about ramen. Um, so since David Chang uh, opened Momofuku Noodle Bar in 2004, uh, ramen became kind of buzzword in New York and now in the entire country, beyond beyond. And I think Momofuku caught New Yorkers' attention because of the non-traditional approach to uh, the traditional food, including the use of high-quality bacon in sashi. And ambience of uh, the Momofuku Noodle Bar um, is also very sleek and cool and looks like a cafe wine bar. Also, um, shortly after Momok Nuruba opened, notable Japanese ramen restaurants opened branches in New York, including Ramen Setagaya and Ipudo. So at this point, it's not an exaggeration to say that ramen is a part of American diet. And in any case, what is ramen by definition? Yeah, so uh, at a very high level, the ramen is part of what's called the Japanese soul food. So it's it's bold. Uh, it's a it's hearty comfort. Uh, it's umami rich. It's uh, it's an explosion of flavors. And at a ba- very basic level, uh, again, uh, ramen, like many other things uh, in Japan, came from China. Uh, this was back in the 17th century. Uh, multiple waves, um, but. Ramen now has completely Japanized, what I call Japanized. It has taken its own life. And when you write the word ramen in Japanese, you you no longer use the uh, uh, characters for a foreign word. You use the actual uh, domestic Japanese word. So it's distinctively Japanese. And um, what is ramen? Ramen essentially is uh, soup noodles. It's using Chinese uh, wheat noodles. Uh, It usually comes in four or five different kind of broths. Uh, most common is pork broth, chicken broth, and some kind of a fish broth. Some chefs likes to, likes to, uh, like to mix them. Uh, it's generally consumed in Japan at the very least with things like gyoza, which is pan-fried dumplings, or shumai. So it, it still has the image in a lot of places in Japan as, as it being a, uh, a, a Chinese food, and, uh, and we mix it with Chinese-like appetizers. Mm. Um, it's but, funny, right? So in Japan, gyoza comes with ramen normally, but here in New York, because Momofuku noodle bar served, served uh, the pork bun, yeah. so ramen people, people serve a pork, pork bun with ramen here in the States. That's a very interesting association. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, distinction you make. Uh, in Japan, you don't really find pork buns. It's always either gyoza or shumai. In, in, in New York, it's uh, usually pork buns. And uh, obviously, ramen has gone global. Um, the you know major players, the likes of Ipudo, Ichiran, Santoka, have been exporting ramen globally. And it seems like a lot of people love it. Mm, right. So um, for listeners who are not familiar with the details of ramen. I'm sure everybody has eaten ramen at some point of life, but um, what uh, does a bowl of ramen consist of? Like you mentioned briefly, but, you know, to analyze what's in there and some ramen connoisseurs get stuck with, you know, what's in there. So the traditional ramen, uh, especially if you're in Tokyo, the broth is usually uh, chicken and uh, skipjack tuna, so katsu. Uh, It's usually very hot. It's served in a big bowl. Uh, Chinese wheat noodles, which is usually very thin. It comes with uh, naruto, which is a kind of fish paste. You don't see it uh, often in, in the United States. You see it very often in, in Japan. It also comes with shinachiku, which is uh, bamboo shoots, um, and some chashu, which is a Chinese word, and that means uh, roasted pork, um, and some scallions. So at a very basic level, the traditional... Japanese ramen bowl is is that, mm. and obviously it has evolved not only in in Japan but outside of the uh, outside of Japan, and you get all sorts of mixes currently. Right, and you said broth. Broth means um, it's basically it's dashi and a tare, right? Yes. So the dashi is, of course, it's a uh, you know chef's stock yes. and your house stock. Yes. And the tare is more concentrated flavor, and they are mixed in in the bowl. Yep. So that's like your style. 
Yes. That's your flavor. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I think, of course, noodles can be thick or middle thick or medium thick or, you know, thin. And uh, I think uh, the difference between ramen noodles and the other kind of noodles, that's kansi, that's alkanized, um, the noodle. I think it's increased the thickness yes. of the gluten. And uh, it's kind of uh, make the color yellow. So that's kind of very ramen specific culture com- yes. compared to any pasta or udon or soba. And uh, in, in ramen parlance in Japan, I'm sure you know, but we say uh, the, the men has koshi. Which mm. is the noodles are al dente and chewy. That's uh, that's a hallmark of good noodles. And the soup has koku, so it has depth. Mm. Um, so it, a lot of advertisements, TV advertisements, when they talk about ramen, usually they employ those words. So that's a very important element of uh, ramen. Mm. You say koku. Um, it's uh, Harold Maki, who's a food scientist, came to the show um, like a while ago. And uh, there are five tastes, like noodle umami is the fifth taste. Yes. And then the sixth taste, that's kokumi. Oh, interesting. I've yeah. never heard that. Yeah, it's, I think it's new. But I, to me, it's kind of like um, long-lasting, deep, rich flavor. But it's not the savoriness. It's something additional to, something like a sensational thing. It's but, depth to the flavor. It's mm, another layer to the flavor, I guess. Right, right. So... That's that's the keyword of ramen, one of them. So um, you just run through the the ramen history, but originally it came to came from China, right? And then I think early 20th century, um, you know, more Chinese culture came to Japan, and then eventually developed to Japanese style. And I think um, because it's uh, reasonably priced, it's cheap, costed cheap to you know you can make a really tasty thing with cheap ingredients. So before I mean, during and after the World War II, when Japan had nothing to eat, they became very popular, and then they came up with instant ramen. So that's that's like um, how ramen became so popular. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to your point, just to add a few uh, things there. Um, so it, it came from China in 1660. Again, multiple waves. That was the first wave. And then trade with China and Japan was relatively robust in the 18th, 19th century when uh, Japan opened up some of its ports and there were, you know, a few Chinatowns around these ports and they would serve ramen there. And then the third wave uh, came, um, actually four waves, the the the, the the third one was in 1910 when uh, in Tokyo Asakusa they opened the first uh, ramen shop. Essentially, a Japanese guy hired Chinese chefs from Chinatown and created uh, Dai Dai Ken. And this is why in, in Japan you see the words Dai Dai Ken pretty often mm. because it was the original ramen shop. So that was 1910. Uh, and uh, this is when you know ramen kind of first became a little bit more Japanese and catered to the Japanese masses. And then post-war is really when ramen took off. Uh, there was a rice shortage, so the government pushed wheat, and this is together with the U.S. government. Um, and uh, a lot of peop- overseas Japanese that were stationed uh, out there came back and brought back the, the, the culture and you know, looking for new jobs. A lot of people started their own yatai, which is uh, uh, street food, and they were serving ramen. So, uh, And again, to your point, that's when uh, the, the uh, instant noodle, we, the, I think the year was uh, 1958. Yeah, Nishin Foods created the world's first instant noodle. And it's considered as one of the greatest innovation um, of the 20th century in various polls that came out of Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1971, was it? Uh, Nishin Foods came up with cup noodle, which was another revolutionary idea. And by 1980s and 1990s, uh, ramen proliferated. It completely Japanized. They changed the way they write, uh, again, to my earlier point, ramen, using hiragana, not katagana. Um, and then I think mid-90s and towards the first half of the turn of the century, uh, ramen just went global. And uh, now we see ramen everywhere. Not you know just regular ramen, but very Japanized ramen. Mm. Um, and interestingly enough, the, if you look at the word ramen, it's originally Chinese la mian. I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. And if you look at the Chinese characters, the kanjis, it means hand-pulled noodles. So the original ramen was hand-pulled as opposed to using a knife. Now, mm. obviously, not a lot of places or I haven't really come across any place that, you know, hand-pulls is other than Chinese places. Uh, but 
that's the origin of the word ramen. It comes from lamian. There are other uh, sort of theories out there as to why uh, it, it uh, the, where the name ramen came from, but those t- th- that specific explanation seems to be the pre- predominant one. Mm. I wish I could eat the hand-pulled ramen. That sounds pretty delicious. <laughs> yeah, they have that in Japan. Um, uh, I'm sure there are places in New York, yeah. you know, they usually have a display and they hand-pull right. it. But, but the, the Chinese lamian, it, the flavor is completely different. It's much more simple. It's just pretty much bland hot water with the basic sauce and hand-pulled noodles, whereas the Japanese ramen has a depth and flavor. And even the Chinese and the Taiwanese make a distinction between their own ramen, lamian, mm-hmm. and Japanese ramen, and they call that Japanese hand-pulled noodles. Mm, right. Okay. So, yeah, so not, not especially last, I think, uh, since the beginning of this century, 21st century, the more the ramen became more gourmet food in Japan as well. So, like, more personalized um, flavors, styles, and then I think it's reflecting the popularity of ramen in the whole world. So, anyway, so the in terms of... Um, you know, we talked about the ingredients, but the flavor-wise, what's the variation of flavors? So, again, there are a lot of different flavors now. A lot of chefs likes to like to mix it. To your earlier point, they want to create their own uh, flavors. But very broadly, at least in Japan, uh, there's three or four categories. One is uh, miso, which uses miso paste. Um, we also have um, soy based with chicken and katsuo serving as the uh, underlying flavor. And uh, pork bone, um, and this is very popular overseas, especially in New York. A lot of places you go, they serve tonkotsu. Ton mm. means uh, pork pig. Kotsu means uh, bone. So it uses uh, pork bones in order to create the broth. And it's very similar to the Chinese python. Uh, it's it's a deep white color, mm-hmm. uh, yellowish color, and it's full of flavor. And it's more viscous, like viscosity, right? Yes, absolutely. And this was originally um, served in Hakata and Kyushu for laborers. It was very quick to make. They had the broth, and the noodles are very thin. It literally took three... Even now, if you go to Hakata and eat Hakata ramen, uh, which they don't call it Hakata here, but uh, back in Japan they do. It's the pork broth, tonkotsu mm. ramen. Uh, they serve it in 30 seconds. It's very quick. The noodles are really thin. It's minimal uh, ingredients, and it's just you know to fill yourself up with deep flavors. So that's the pork bone tonkotsu ramen. Um, there's also the salt shio ramen, uh, and finally curry ramen. Um, mm. So those are the four or five major categories of ramen uh, in, in in Japan. Mm. Right, and also um, it's very regional. So to say, unlimited variations of flavors but uh in terms of style you know we started to see you know of course the classic soup based ramen but um some uh, called kind of cousin of ramen mazemen without soup it's kind of like pasta looking so it's kind of um uh the pie of ramen is rolling yeah yeah every day <laughs> at this so point to your point there are five thousand ramen shops in tokyo apparently as of two three years ago uh and twenty four thousand ramen shops all over japan mm. so to your point it there's you know there's a lot of regional varieties from hokkaido kitakata tokyo yokohama uh hakata uh, those are the major ones that come to mind uh and each has their own distinct flavoring noodles the way they um create and present it um, and finally, uh, to your last point, uh, there are a lot of derivatives and cousins of ramen. There's the mazemen, which seems to be pretty popular in New York. I, mm. A lot of places serve mazemen. And we'll later talk about the various uh, ramen parlors in the New York area. But almost every place I've been has mazemen. Mm. I, I don't know why. I guess it's, you know, the, the penchant for Manhattanites to try something new and different and con- continuously mm. innovate. So there's mazemen. There's also well, tsukemen. I heard one of the chefs um, told me it's easier because the dashi takes a long time and the space as well. So if you have mazemen, you don't have to, you know, get whole spend time in the space and keep it, you know, perfected version of it. So that's kind of economical aspect of it, I think. That makes sense. And it resembles an Italian pasta dish, but, you know, with Japanese flavorings, basically. Mm. So there's mazemen, there's tsukemen. Tsukemen is when the noodles and the broth are separate. And usually the broth is deeper and heavier in flavor and you dip the noodles and you um, 
consume it. Various places in New York have skimen also. There's hiyashi chuka or hiyashi ramen, which is consumed in the summer. Mm. Um, then it, they don't call it ramen. They still call it cold china is the literal translation. Uh, not very common in, in, in New York. Uh, it's a summer dish that I always miss. But again, it's using Chinese wheat uh, noodles. Um, and finally, curry ramen. Mm, I think that hiyashi chuka in the summer, that could be a big hit because it's so easy. It's not uh, broth-based. And you just, there's a package, open it, and then put the tare on top. And it's like a quick salad, noodle salad. Don't so. tell anyone. We can open a place and make a lot of money. <laughs> Maybe we should discuss after this. All right. So, okay. So, um, one thing I we want to discuss that many people have seen uh, the movie Tampopo, which came out in 1985. And the whole story of the film revolves around ramen. So maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, so Tampopo is uh, actually pretty well known in the United States. It's uh, Japan's take on the spaghetti western, the Italian movies. It's called the first ramen western. Uh, they employ elements of, you know, the, the, the American cowboy in the movie. Uh, some very famous actress, Ken Watanabe. Um, and Itami Juzo is one of Japan's top uh, film directors historically, joining the ranks of... Um, uh, the ranks of, uh, f- forgot off the top of my head, uh, the other famous uh, director, uh, Kurosawa. Mm. Um, he's done many uh, movies. A, a good number of them are controversial. He's very much into satire. Uh, his movie, Marusanonna, was talking about you know exposing the uh, other side of Japanese mafia, which actually got him lynched and he got in trouble for that. Um, he he was a he, he was quite the artist. Uh, he ended up committing suicide, uh, but a lot of his movies uh, have a lot of impact, and it, it's it's one of my favorite movies. So um, Tampopo essentially means dandelion, uh, and there's a re- and that's the reason why there are a lot of ramen places, not just in Japan but outside of Japan, that use the name Tampopo for their ramen restaurant, and it's essentially a story about two truck drivers uh, that uh, and that stumble upon a. Uh, rundown ramen store run by a single mother uh, who's been abused by uh, her wife and uh, they help launch and make the ramen store successful. So at a kind of superficial level, that's the uh, story. But the it's again, it's a satire on Japanese culture. So they, there's various scenes of various uh, elements of Japanese idiosyncrasies being brought out in the movie. Mm. Um, the mafia is, is uh, portrayed in the movie. The um, executives, Japanese salarymen, the high society, uh, the uh, lowbrow society, the bums. Um, so it, it approaches Japanese society, Japanese culture, using food and predominantly ramen from uh, various angles. Mm. Right, and there's a famous scene, how you taste ramen. <laughs> oh yeah, so the uh, it's one of the first scenes in which... Uh, the uh, young guy truck driver sits next to an old experienced ramen eater and they spend about three minutes talking about just how to consume ramen. It's it's a classic scene and it's probably one of the most famous movie scenes in, in, in the history of uh, Japanese theater. But you essentially begin by observing the bowl. You don't jump into it. You appreciate the uh, gestalt. You savor the aromas. You appreciate the jewels of fat glittering on the surface. <laughs> Uh, the shining shinachiku. It's almost poetry. Uh, the uh, seaweed slowly sinking, the spring onions floating, and then you concentrate on the pork slices as they play a key role, but they stay mostly hidden. And then you caress, finally, you caress the surface with chopsticks to express affection for the ramen. You <laughs> poke the ramen, you move it, uh, sorry, you poke the pork, the chashu, you move it to the other side of the bowl, and then you quietly apologize to the pork by saying, See you later. <laughs> so this in itself takes about a minute and a half. And then the remaining minute and a half, they talk about how to consume the rest of the ramen. Mm. Well, it's funny because it's real, right? Because it's a ramen is so seriously taken. And uh, that's how ramen chefs pay attention to that details. And it's funny because everybody tend to have a kind of mindset. You don't eat, well, some people might just eat, but it's as much as people eat sushi at the very fancy sushi restaurant. There is a commitment for diners, too. So I think it's uh, whenever I eat the ramen, I think of that scene. 
Yeah, it's <laughs> it's almost the philosophy in Japan. It's、mm. kind of the way of life. I mean, you have chefs that dedicate their entire lives to perfecting ramen, to serving the best ramen, you know, best presentation.、Um, ramen is almost borderline a religion in Japan.、Mm. I totally agree. So, listeners, we haven't seen、uh, the movie Tampopo. You definitely should. Oh, it's a great movie. It, again, it's a comedy, it's a drama. They focus on death, sex, food, everything that is part of Japanese culture comes out in that movie, again, in the form of food.、Mm. And it's one of the first、uh, food porn movies in,、uh, you know, that, that was out in the 1980s. I mean, now with Instagram and Facebook, you know, there are a lot of people that are food bloggers, food porn. It's very predominant. We hear New York being as one of the top you know, food porn. Uh, uh, cities in the world, the way they just show food and talk about food. But Itami Juzo grasped these concepts、uh, back, you know, some 30, 40 years ago and produced a whole movie around it.、Mm. Um, and it's only now that we see, you know, shows like Netflix that comes out with, you know, Chef's Table and all these other shows about food. Um, but、uh, in that sense, I think Itami Juzo was ahead of his time. And not only is, was, again, his, his focus just on food, but he was the more the philosophical aspect, the satire in Japanese culture. So there are multiple levels of, of comprehending that movie. So in that sense, it's very deep, just like ramen, I guess. <laughs>、mm, That's well said. All right. So um,、uh, we'll take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll discuss the Matsu's favorite ramen shops. So please、uh, stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the Welsh natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Hey, are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Kathy Irway, and I'm the host of Eat Your Words here on HRN. Every week, I sit down with food writers to talk about their newest work from colorful cookbooks to food memoirs to exposes on the food industry. It's all meaty topic for discussion. You can find Eat Your Words wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese podcast live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Atema, and my guest today is、um, Masud Gyalsi, who has a Japanese food and restaurant blog on Instagram under Tokyo Manhattan. He appeared on episode 125 and 136 and shared his favorite Japanese chefs and restaurants in Paris, New York, and in Tokyo, as well as on sushi restaurants in New York and Tokyo. So, let's talk about your favorite ramen shops in New York. Yes, well, Akiko san, when you first told me to come speak about ramen,、uh, I had a very hard time figuring out which ramen places I should feature.、Mm. There's just a lot of ramen in New York City and a lot of good ramen.、Um, and again, very innovative. You see things that you don't see in Japan, but still true to the nature of ramen and the way it's prepared and presented.、Um, so, today we have what, some seven or eight ramen parlors that we're going to discuss? Mm hmm. Yep. All right. So,、uh, just do you want me to start talking about、um, just one by one? Yeah, sure. Great. So,、uh, my guess we'll start with the obvious ones.、Uh, obvious because these are global names.、Uh, it's, it's well advertised. A lot of people know about it. And、uh, although personally, I, you know, I, because of its. Because so many people know about it, I, I initially didn't really want to cover it, but it's still a standard. It, they, they still did. Uh, you know, they were responsible for spreading Japanese culture. I thought it's important to review them. So, the two, uh, uh, you know, two or three sort of predominant ones here are Ipudo,、mm. uh, 
uh, and uh, Ichiran and mm. Santoka. Okay. So Ipudo is Hakata ramen. It's again the pork broth, pork bone broth, tonkotsu uh, ramen, which is all over Japan, uh, a lot in Southeast Asia, and now in various places in the United States. I think they opened their third one in New York City. I know they have at least two. Uh, widely popular in New York. It's, it gets very long lines when it first opened. There were three, four hour waits.、Mm. Um, and this is so the white.、Uh, The, the deep white、uh, colored pork broth, which is full of flavors, full of umami, the、uh, thin noodles.、Uh, and the difference between Ipudo here in New York、uh, and Japan is that Ipudo here、uh, is more, of, more like a restaurant in which you go in and spend some time and have appetizers, have drinks, they have a bar, and then you finish up with、uh, a, a ramen.、Mm. Whereas in Ipudo in J- Japan, it's, you walk in and you walk out. And the true nature of Hakata ramen, the tonkotsu broth ramen that was served in, in Kyushu, where it originated, was again, to my earlier point, to, to cater to laborers. They didn't have time, it was cooked in and out. And even places in Tokyo,、uh, outside of Ipudo, they have Hakata ramen. It's, you walk in, it's like a stall, you eat. They, it takes them 30 seconds to make, and then you eat for maybe two, three minutes, and you're done and you're out.、Mm, that's interesting. So, that's a really distinctive cultural difference, right? Because I, I interviewed the Pudo people first time they opened in East Village, and、uh, it's hard to get the idea of appetizer, entree, dessert kind of concept for ramen dining out. So, some people, you know, as the New Yorkers, Probably didn't get to ramen because they got too full eating appetizers and they couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they got adjusted so well. They have,、um, I've seen their、uh, noodle production and facility as well. So they make their own noodle、yeah. here and then it's really, they're doing a great job to educating people about real ramen. They also, um, uh, they also supply their noodles to various、uh, ramen shops. As an example, we'll talk later, but Ishida Ramen gets their ramen from Ipudo, and I think it's specially made for them.、Mm. And from what I understand, their Midtown West、uh, store in the basement, they have a state of the art、mm. uh, ramen noodle factory,、uh, which is quite impressive. I haven't seen it. I don't know if you have. I'd、I、love have, to go、I、one thought, day.、Yeah. Oh, really?、Yeah. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs>、um, yeah, I'd love to go see. Yeah. All right. So the. And you talked about Ipudo and the, the next one? Yes, so Ichiran.、Yep. Ichiran is, I guess,、uh, Ipudo's competitor.、Uh, I used to go to Ichiran you know, pretty、uh, often back in my、uh, Japan days, some 10, 15 years ago.、Um, and、uh, it's also Kyushu Hakata Ramen,、uh, so the tonkotsu pork broth.、Um, the sort of distinctive feature with、uh, Ichiran is、uh, that they have dividers.、Mm. Um, uh, it's more common in Japan, less common here. They,、uh, the one, so there are two Ichirans, I think three now, but、uh, the one in Brooklyn, they have a common、uh, area and they also take the dividers out if need be, if it's a gu-、uh, you know, big group. But in Japan, when you sit down in Ichiran, there are dividers and people shush you if you talk.、Um, mm. I don't know about now, but at least 10, 15 years ago. And the idea is you want to be laser focused on the food, on the ramen bowl. And、uh, like you don't even see. <laughs> yes. You don't even see the face of the servers. There's a, you know, a bamboo curtain and they kind of open up and all you see is their hand. And you、uh, use a little menu, pen and paper, and you write what you want and you slip it under that. Uh, so, the whole philosophy behind that is you know, you focus on the ramen, there's limited talking, there's you know, no limited conversation.、Um, conceptually interesting, the ramen is great, it's delicious, but、um, based on my experience eating at Ichiran here, I don't think people pay attention to the di- dividers. It's more <laughs> like an amusement. Oh, look at this, it's, it's interesting.、Mm, actually, uh, on uh, uh, episode 138,、uh, Kayla Copeland,、uh, who is in charge of PR at Ichiran, came. So, listeners, if you want to know more about Ichiran's very unique dining experience,、um, please listen to 138. So, all right. And, and the third one,、uh, this is another global brand.、Uh, it's one of my favorites also. It's called Santoka. They have them in Canada. Actually, I was in Toronto last weekend and、uh, stepped into Santoka. This、uh, Santoka, there's one in New Jersey in the uh, Japanese uh, market in、um, Edgewater. Uh, so, this is basically pork broth Hokkaido ramen,、uh, originated in the 1980s. Again, a global chain now. And they specialize in shio, salt ramen,、uh, 
Um, so the flavor is light salt, but mixed with pork broth. Mm. And they're also known for their pork chul, pork cheeks. Uh, they call it the toroniku. Toro mm. means uh, some, uh, to melt in your mouth, torori. Mm. Uh, it's also the word used for fatty tuna, toro, because it melts in your mouth. And niku means meat. So it's literally translated melt in your mouth meat. So they take the pork jol uh, and they roast it. And uh, it's super soft, super juicy, uh, and really tender. Mm. Um, so they have that ramen, which is delicious. And obviously, because of its global nature and uh, its its fame, the, the broth is very good, very deep in flavor. Mm. Um, and uh, they serve it just like Hokkaido ramen with a lot of corn uh, and, and butter. Mm. Right. Well, I actually went to the website and checked that the founder founded... Um, well, they, the founder decided he swore to his family i'm gonna make a ramen so that i can make you happy and then that means very healthy and not too salty like you said and uh, it's just, just delicious good ramen so it's kind of like if you want to feed this ramen uh your family with this ramen that must be really good and healthy oh right? it is good so, i don't know about the healthy part yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is delicious well, relatively speaking relatively yeah. speaking it's a comfort food anyways yeah so. absolutely and i've noticed uh interestingly enough ramen in new york is uh less greasier than ramen in in japan and tokyo and mm. i think that speaks to people here being a little bit more health conscious if you want to you know succeed in manhattan and some of the uh outer boroughs of manhattan uh, the the ramen has to be healthy. It can't be you know like half grease and half broth. And mm. there's places in Japan you walk in and you know you have a whole half an inch layer of uh, you know essentially grease on top of ramen. <laughs> right. Um, but I think uh, well, like you said, you know this lighter style of ramen is distinctive. So it's kind of like we export it to Japan in terms of you know the vegetarian ramen or different lighter style ramen started to be more popular in Japan too so oh absolutely i mean it. in japan historically ramen is you know is catered toward truck drivers i always tell my friends this is truck driver food originally and it's probably you know the last 30 years in which it has been catered more and more to the masses became more refined, a little bit more sophisticated, and to your point, now catering to vegans and vegetarians. And almost every ramen store you walk into in New York, they have a vegan or vegetarian ramen. At least when I was living in Japan up until 2011, uh, you never really came across vegetarian ramen or vegan ramen. Mm. Um, they're all pork broth, chicken broth, um, and you, you, there's always chashu in there and usually uh, pretty greasy. Right, yeah. That's kind of what people expect in Japan. It's that specific greasy, you know, the classic uh, components. So it's hard to go beyond. But I think um, the influence from overseas, it's like uh, sushi rolls. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's changing, expanding the market, which yep. is great. Right. So what's next? So we covered Ippudo, Ichiran, Santoka. And uh, to my earlier point, you know, the tonkotsu pork broth is, uh, pork bone broth is very popular here. Uh, so I, you know, I, I sometimes get tired of those flavors and I seek uh, flavors you find in Japan, the sort of the classic shoyu, classic Tokyo. Uh, and there are a couple of places that serve this, actually. Uh, Minka, mm. it's one of the older uh, ramen establishments, 2004, before, you know, ramen became a craze in New York, which is probably the last five, ten years. Mm. Uh, these guys started uh, making ramen in 2004. Uh, there are 15 different options of ramen, five different types of noodles. So they have a very full menu. Uh, and I think their signature dish is the minka shio ramen, so salt ramen. Mm. So again, if you want to have a wide array of different kinds of flavors and noodles, uh, minka is the place to go. And mm. it's delicious. There's usually a line there, and it's in the Lower East Side like most uh, uh, ramen parlors. Right. When I, I learned if the founder used to be uh, just musician so yeah <laughs> that's kind of rom romantic element about that all right so what's next uh nakamura also in the lower east side opened in 2016 uh it's as if you're stepping into a tokyo style ramen parlor uh the outside uh the ad or or the uh storefront has ramen and gyoza in it. So, you know, the perfect combination what the Japanese always eat with ramen, gyoza. So they serve gyoza there too. Minka, by the way, serves also gyoza. Uh, they also have a wide array of ramen. Uh, their signature dish is the torigara uh, soy. Torigara is chicken broth 
uh, chicken bone broth and soy. Uh, they also have a yuzu dashi, which is light um, and, and very asari, right. as the Japanese like to say. They also have curry flavors, mazemen, uh, and they make their own noodles at Nakamura. And recently he opened a uh, mazemen store right next to uh, Nakamura and called Niche. I still haven't been. Curious to see it. Mm. Um, but another good spot. Right. Yeah, actually, he came to the show again. <laughs> uh, Shigedoshi Nakamura came to uh, the show on episode 50. And uh, he really was a ramen legend. He really got a reputation in Japan. He decided to pack up everything and move to New York. And uh, yeah, so he's really... Um, forward-minded person, creative. And I think uh, so, someone like him is going to change the traditional culture of ramen. So that's great. You know, you got to appreciate some of these ramen chefs and entrepreneurs. I mean, they give up everything and they just dedicate their whole life to noodles and soup and uh, serve them various ways. They keep trying trial and error, different kind of broths and you know, some succeed, some don't, and uh, they spend a good amount of their time and resources in order to deliver the best ramen, the, m- the most flavorful um, to to uh, diners. Mm. Yeah, and, and I I looked up the niche and there's the topping of mazemen because without soup they can play more with interesting, unique ingredients. So they have a ribeye steak, main main uni sea urchin, and house smoked salmon, house double smoked bacon. That sounds really good. It does sound good. <laughs> They're all sort of Manhattan buzzwords uh, right? that people like, you know, double bacon, Sam smoked salmon. And what's the first one you said? Uh, that's a ribeye steak. Ribeye, yes. Mm. And uni. Main, I mean, there's a uni craze in New York City, too. Right. So gets, guess he's hitting all the uh, top hits there with his maze man. Right. Yeah, I'm so intrigued to go there. All right. So what's next? Uh, let me shift a little bit. Uh, we'll cover Yuji Ramen. Mm. And interesting enough, you introduced me to this place, Akiko-san, yeah. if you remember. Um, and not as Yuji Ramen, but as Okonomi. This place has two names. It's the same store. Okonomi is their... Um, Okonomi means, I guess, in Japanese, literally translated, whatever you like, whatever pleases you. Um, and they serve uh, what's called Ichiju Sansai, which is the traditional Japanese breakfast. Ichiju Sansai, Ichi, one soup and three dishes. And it's usually some kind of a fried fish, rice, a vegetable dish, and a soup. And that's during the weekends, I believe, and at night... Uh-huh. Uh, during no during the week, um, breakfast, lunch. Oh, okay. I think seven days because because I I go there very often. Yeah, I yeah, know I know. And you live very close, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, such a dangerous location <laughs> to me. Yep. Um, and dinner they serve ramen, if I'm not mistaken, mm. right? Yep. Very simple menu. They have maybe one or two mazemen, three bowls, and um, because of their nature of being a seafood supplier, um, they the all the broths are seafood based. And uh, I think it's the first time I came across it, but uh, they have what's called the tsuna kotsu. Mm. Tsuna is tuna, obviously. Kotsu is bone. So you, they use tuna bones in order to create their ramen. Um, and it has a, an interesting touch to it. Um, it, it. It has a depth and flavor, but more of a tuna. Uh, I'm not sure fishy is the right word, but more of a seafood uh, touch to the ramen. Mm. And it's just, I think it's delicious. Right, it's clean and uh Actually, and Yuji came here a couple times on the show and discussed whole his philosophy oh, to promote really? the Japanese sure. fish yeah. culture. <laughs> so actually, he started uh, Okonomi and uh, Osaka, uh, the, the Yuji Ramen to make everything sustainable. No waste. That's his philosophy. So he opened this, uh, the retail fish uh, shop. So it's kind of like the other way around. He just to make everything waste, no waste, um, you know, production system. He just opened everything else, and uh, he has like the little Kyoto-style sushi place. Yeah. Yes, that's right. He opened a sushi place. I haven't been. I really want to go. We should go. We still haven't gotten eaten since we haven't gone eaten together uh, since our last show. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, the ramen is a lot of you know things that are left over. You throw it in a pot and you heat it up for maybe one or two days, and then you have the best broth. So I guess. It's part of his philosophy to deliver mm. uh, uh, ramen at the end, which takes everything he's used in his kitchen and turns it into broth. Right. Is that, that's probably his philosophy, I would think. Yeah. So, you know, you need the bones for dashi. And then you have to utilize the other pieces. Then, then he serves breakfast. Yeah. That's not enough. You need more bones. Yeah. And then you have to have a retail shop to 
make the most of it. So that's a very sustainable business. Yes. And an ecological um, mindset too. So, all right. And what's something Next, different? Next,、um, let's cover. Oh, Shuya Cafe de Ramen.、Mm. So. It's,、uh, they mix ramen, coffee shop, and a lifestyle shop all together. So you walk in and、uh, you experience the Japanese sensibility、uh, of you know, the French touch, the furniture, the simplicity. It's literally walking into a,、uh, some kind of a coffee shop in Setagaya,、mm. but they also serve ramen.、Uh, their broths are pretty light.、Um, they're well known for their、uh, cherry stone clam broth.、Uh, they mix it together with. Uh, chicken, and I think they mix it also with pork broth. I forgot, but、uh, the distinctive feature of this place is using cherry stone clams, and it adds a whole different dimension of umami、mm. and flavor to the broth. So there's a seafood clam component, and then there's a pork chicken component.、Um, they also serve buns. The chef there, Shuya san,、uh, used to work at one or eight. Um, so he has a few sushi pieces here and there.、Mm. Um, and Shuya is also the name of the designer、uh, who also designed places like Sechu Yokota. So you see similar furniture that you see there.、Um, so I guess they, you know, Shuya also refers to not only the chef of that place, but also the、uh, interior designer of that place.、Mm. Uh, it's located in Astoria.、Um, just delicious.、Um, Everything has, they pay a lot of attention to details. Like their coffee, it says where the coffee beans are from. Like if everything on the menu has, you know, there's a reason behind it, there's、mm-hmm. a philosophy behind it. They make everything in house. Not sure about the noodles, but their chashu, their memmashinachiku. Um, Uh, so, so, a lot of craftsmanship、uh, goes into this place, and it's one of my favorite. If you haven't been, you definitely have to go.、Yeah. We should go together. Right, because I, I think、uh, coffee, you know, the third wave coffee and ramen on the one roof,、yeah. I, I never thought of that. Yeah. Kind of lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, it's a lifestyle place. Yeah.、Right. How cool is that? Okay, and、uh, you have also ramen Ishida? Yeah, Ishida's a great spot.、Uh, it's just one gentleman、uh, that, that is running the place.、Uh, Of course, he has assistance, not in the kitchen, but with respect to taking orders.、Um, and、uh, everything is in house.、Um, he has a、uh, shoyu based ramen, no pork broth, no tonkotsu.、Uh, so, very Tokyo style. He is from Sugamo, and Sugamo is known for its、uh, ramen in Tokyo.、Um, and、uh, it's, it's a shoyu based ramen, and he also serves it with porcini and truffle tapanade on top of it. So, there's a It adds a, again, another dimension to the ramen. It's light, asari,、uh, it's, 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 just, it's a delicious broth. I、mm-hmm. don't know how better to describe it.、Uh, again, it's in the Lower East Side, very close to Nakamura and、um, Mr. Taka. So, for all those who haven't been, I highly recommend it.、Uh, they don't have a very extensive menu, maybe four or five different types of ramen,、mm. but the ones that they serve,、uh, he's perfected the art. And when he present it, presents his ramen, it's also very beautifully laid out. He makes sure all the noodles are you know,、um, uh, aligned with one another.、Um, so, it's, it's, it's a great spot. Right. And I, he- I heard that this is good for vegetarians. Yes, I think he has a vegetarian one too. Because、mm, yeah. it's so hard. Basically, dashi is totally rich <laughs> in pork or chicken or fish. So, yeah, if you are a vegetarian, you want to go to this place,、uh, Ramen Ishida. And the chef used to be at、uh, the chef、uh, of Ipudo, East Village, I heard. Yes, and he also was a bartender at some point in his life. He's been in the US for, I think he said, over 14 years, so a long time. He opened this place about, I think, two years ago. Um, and he's really perfected the three or four bowls of ramen that he serves.、Mm, right. And、uh, he, he gets his noodles from Ipudo. Correct. So,、awesome. so again, if, if, if there's two camps in New York City, there's the Ipudo Ichiran pork broth, which you find everywhere. And then there's like the Ishidas, the Shuyas, the Yuji ramen, which don't really focus on tonkotsu and trying to deliver a new, different,、uh, slash traditional type of ramen focusing on soy. Uh, chicken uh, broth、um, and mixing in、uh, clam or fish broth.、Mm, right. So, that variation, I think, is making everything interesting. Yes. As、right. you know, New York, Manhattan loves to innovate, and you see innovative sushi, innovative ramen、um, also in this city.、Mm, right. So,、um, the ramen is very popular, not only in Japan and the US, of course, as we discussed, and in many other countries. For instance,、um, we had Italian chef, Luca. 
cattle farmer on episode 65, and we discussed his casa ramen in Milan, Italy. Oh, wow. I was yeah. in Milan uh, over New Year's. I didn't go. I should have gone. <laughs> He's such a cool guy. So, so why do you think ramen is so uh, appealing and popular globally? Well, like many soul food, um, you know, this is Japanese soul food. It, 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 it's delicious. It's cheap. Um, there's a lot of flavor depth. Uh, it's filling. There's carbs. Uh, it's, you know, umami rich. It's a flavor explosion. It's bold. It's hearty. It's a comfort food. Um, and, and, and it's easy, relatively, I guess, easy to make mm. um, as and long as you're really decorated. creative as a chef. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, you can own a shack and operate the best ramen. Um, and it's, you know, casual food. So you can have a small stall with five, six tables. You can also do demai, so takeout. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's there's a reason why there are 4,000 places in, in Tokyo and 24,000 places in Japan just serving ramen. Mm, right. And noticeably, um, many finding American chefs <laughs> decided to open a ramen shop instead of pursuing fine dining paths. So, yeah, let's see what's going to happen yeah. in the future of ramen. All right. So, thank you for joining us today, Masir. Thank you, Akiko-san. So, keep dining. Yes. And come back for more. Sure. <laughs> All right, listeners, if you'd like to know more about Masu's discoveries of Japanese cuisine, follow him on Instagram under Tokyo Manhattan. And also, I, um, I give you all the list. Uh, the list of all the names you heard today and the best ramen shops uh, Masood recommends uh, on the show page. So uh, you don't have to worry about remembering names or listen to <laughs> get the name correctly. So, um, yeah, and if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese.heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatayama.com. Japan Needs is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio, supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>